There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and we're joined on the show today by none other than football finance expert Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football Podcast. Kieran, how's it going? Good New Year and all that? Uh, yeah, as a Brighton fan, yeah, still uh, still pinching <laughs> myself uh, after last night at, uh, at Everton. First time we've ever scored four goals away from home in the, in the, in the top division. So yeah, uh, lo- loving football life at present. Well, I'm not surprised you've got a World Cup winner in your squad. And it's a, it's a long time since you're in the championship, isn't it now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I, th- yeah. I think it shows that you know, doing the boring stuff, which is infrastructure, culture, um, strategy, which are all sort of boring business things, uh, does actually work in football because we are punching about our weight and we know it. Um, and, and it's getting those marginal gains, which which can make a difference. And, and that applies to the championship as, as much as it does in the Premier League. I wish we could get a clip of that and put it on some big speakers outside certain football clubs who we may talk about in this podcast right here. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It, it seemed like an opportune time to have you on, Kieran, considering it's the FA Cup break. And also there's a lot of confusing different things going on off the pitch for many championship clubs. And who better to talk us through it all than your dear self? So we'll kick things off with West Brom, whose supporters have been protesting recently against the running of the club and things really got turned up a notch with this 20 million pound loan that was taken out just before the end of the year so what do we know about this and what don't we know about it what still needs to be answered well um the loan has been taken out uh, by west bromwich albion group stroke holdings the, the not the football club itself west bromwich albion's a very complicated set of structures it's a bit like those russian matryoshka dolls that you sometimes see so you you've got the holdings company then you've got wbafc holdings based in jersey then you've got west bromwich albion group then you've got west bromwich albion football club so as soon as you start to see things like that you go it seems a bit a bit over complicated for mm. a for a a, a, a a relatively well organized historically um, you know, fantastic representation of uh, of of the area football club. So, so that makes you a little bit twitchy. Um, MSD Holdings is people will have heard of Michael Dell, the uh, the computer uh, billionaire. Um, he's got a private, effectively a private bank, and it specialises in lending money to the entertainment and the sports sector. So they've lent to. Derby County, we all know how that ended. Um, you know, they've they've lent to Southampton. They've they've lent to uh, you know a few other clubs as well. Um, they 
they they borrow money and then they lend it on a higher rate of interest. Um, so they, they've lent twenty million pounds for four years. We've not been told the rate of interest, but I would imagine, given that Southampton were paying over nine percent, um, and they're in the Premier League, you'd expect it to be a wee bit higher. So in four years' time, West Brom are going to have to go and pay twenty-eight million pounds. Or oh, yeah, the loan will have cost them twenty-eight million pounds in terms of what they borrowed and the interest on top of it. Um, and if West Bromwich Albion get promoted to the Premier League, happy days. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's not actually too much of an issue. If West Bromwich Albion are still in the Championship, squeaky bum time, because you're making seven to eight million pounds a year from your broadcast deal compared to a hundred million in the Premier League. So it, it does seem a very high-risk strategy. In addition to that, there's a couple of other loans which make you feel a bit uneasy. First of all, um, West Bromwich Albion was was bought by uh, Gauchun Lai in 2016, and uh, he bought the club from, from Jeremy Peace. And shortly prior to that, Jeremy Peace had bought a number of shares from West Bromwich Albion's lots of individual shareholders. I think that's great. You know, it, it, it does that, that, that sense of uh, that sense of community that it brings. But he bought a lot of shares from individual shareholders uh, in, in the Albion. Uh, but in order to do that, he borrowed money from the football club. Um, and that money's not been repaid. Now, we, we don't know how much he sold the club for, but the rumours are somewhere in the region of 180 to 200 million. So he, he was very successful in, in that. Uh, so Jeremy Peace's loan to the club appears to be outstanding. Um, Gauchun Lai himself borrowed just under £5 million. I think it was in March 21, said that that money would be repaid in mid-22. Mid-22 came and went. He then said, oh, 31st of December, um, 31st of December has come and gone. And he's now said it's going to be paid um, early in 2023. Now, I don't know about you, but when my bloke, when, yeah, when a mate of mine down the pub borrows a tenner from me and he says, I'll, I'll pay you early next month, not normally on the first or the second. Um, so that word early is doing an awful lot of heavy lifting. Um, so, so West Bromwich Albion fans are, are understandably concerned. And on top of that, the, the people who effectively kite mark the accounts, the auditors, Four, four sets of them have gone in, in seven years. That's that's a lot. You know, normally, an auditors are there for 10, 20 years. So, so why is it that the auditors are taking a look at the books and saying, no, I don't really want to be associated with West Bromwich Albion Football Club? Um, so all of this is just uncomfortable. Um, and, and, it, and we could have a happy ending. You know, you, you know the championship far, far better than I do. You know, West Brom are absolutely ripping up that league at present. They were on a fantastic roll mm. on the pitch, but you've got big concerns about what's happening off it. Just give us an idea of how twenty million pounds plus interest could really do some damage to West Brom. Because for a normal Championship club, twenty-eight million pounds, as you say, that ain't pocket change. That could financially cripple them, couldn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, we, we are seeing clubs in the championship. And this is one of the things which, which does does worry me, that who are announcing losses of, of £20 million a year. And we've now got to the stage where 
where people are just blinking and say, oh, yeah, that's fine. The, you know, uh, we've got you know, very benevolent owners, such as at Bristol City, you've got Steve Gibson at Middlesbrough. Both those clubs have lost a fortune last season. And the owners have said, I'll just look up, I'll, I'll look under the, you know, behind, behind the side of the sofa, here's 20 million. I'll, I'll do it. West Brom aren't in that position. So um, if they're not in a position to repay it in four years' time, MSD Holdings now have a mortgage. So yeah, if you know with any mortgage, failure to repay means that the, the lender is in a position to effectively to repossess the property. And, and that that's would be my concern, or alternatively, the club ends up going into administration. You know, Derby borrowed £20 million from MSD Holdings. They didn't repay that. Club went into administration. Now, I'm not saying that the situation is identical, but that there are a few parallels, um, and you know, I, I don't want to sound jingoistic or or anything similar. But I think the people in charge of the club at, at the at the higher level, yes, you've got Ron Gourlay, uh, who's the chief executive of the football club, but above him appears to be people with with no knowledge or experience of running something in the football industry. And the football industry is is not it's not the same as you know. Uh, uh, a ball bearings factory or a or a bakery or a you know a, 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 or an airline it's it's a very very strange industry because financial success doesn't tend to get you many plaudits uh because all of our focus is what's happening on the pitch and also you know if, if i go to you know if, if i if i go to my local bakery and he goes out of business i i'd be sad yeah i'd be sorry you know you know, you, you know the people that work there you don't want anybody to lose their jobs if my football club goes out of business, that that scars me for life. If, if you've ever spoken to uh, to Berry Football Club fans and the sense of loss that they have every Saturday, and, and I appreciate you now we, we've now got Berry AFC set up as a Phoenix club, but you know, they're playing it Ratcliffe. They're not in the part of the EFL. Um, it, it, it is it is a cause for concern. Uh, I think clubs like West Brom will always find a potential new owner should the worst happen. And, and we're a long way from that at present. You know, I, I, I don't want to be accused of scaremongering here, but uh, yeah, how, how West Brom will find £20 million in four years' time if they've not spent some time in the Premier League is beyond me. Well, it's another case of a championship club gambling with its future again, isn't it? I thought we were moving away from that with, you know, the, the Derbies, the Sheffield Wednesdays and what have you. But if it works, then fine. As you say, it doesn't really mean much, but it seems as if certain owners aren't learning from things like that, which simply aren't worth the risk. Yeah. yeah. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different outcome. And when we've got uh, clubs in the championship, I think at last year it averaged £124 in wages, or 2021, we've, we've not got the accounts of many clubs for 2022, uh, £124 in wages for every £100 worth of income. And I appreciate 21 was a COVID year, but if you go back to 2019, which was pre-COVID, again, wages exceed revenue. Well, so so before, before you put on the floodlights, and let's face it, putting on the floodlights is costing you a lot more money than it did in 2019. Before, be, before, the, uh, before the groundsman's Put, put petrol in the mower. And of course, the price of petrol has gone up. Yeah, everything's gone up in price. You've, you've already lost money. So um, the, the, the culture of gambling within football, um, and, you know, and that's setting aside the industry's, in my view, unhealthy relationship 
with the gambling industry itself. It is effectively twisting on 19. And you are relying on owners, many of whom are very generous, at the end of every month saying, okay, you need half a million pounds this month, here it is, or you need two million pounds. What happens if A, the owner's personal circumstances change? And, and we saw that uh, at some clubs. You know, uh, I think Berry is one, Notts County was one. Um, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the owner is no longer as wealthy as they used to be due to whatever circumstances, or the owner simply turns around and says, I've had enough of this. You know, Mel Morris at, at Derby, he, how much he's actually lost, we don't know. But I, I think we're talking over, well over 100 million. Um, and he's come in for a lot of criticism, some of which is very much justified. But he, he did put a lot of money you know, from, his, from his own personal wealth into Derby County Football Club and eventually reached the stage of saying, you know, why am I doing this? And, and he walked away. And that, you know, Derby went into administration. Uh, you, you then had the horrendous uh, period of administration itself where, you know, tyre kickers, lunatics and Lawrence Bassini probably were, you know, <laughs> were, all, uh, were all potentially involved. Um, and as, as a football fan, and you know this, it doesn't matter what football club you support. It's a terrible thing to say, perhaps, but the first thing I think of every morning is my football club when I wake up. And the last thing I think of at night, okay, yeah, who we got on Saturday, who we got this weekend. doesn't mean I don't love my kids. doesn't mean I don't love my wife. doesn't mean I don't love my dogs. But that love you have for a football club and, and the potential that other people are gambling with that, with that relationship that you have is, uh, is a cause for concern. Agreed. Uh, final question on West Brom, and it's regarding yet another loan, the one you mentioned not too long ago. This one, just under five million, and that was paid by West Brom to one of the companies owned by the chairman, Gratian Lai, during the COVID pandemic and hasn't been paid back to the club yet. Two deadlines to pay the money have now passed, and that's still not happened, and it's cropped up in the news again now that the most recent deadline has passed. Now, I could understand why fans will be annoyed about that. Are there any potential ramifications the longer it takes this money to be paid, though? Um, now that they've got the loan from MSD Holdings, probably not. I, I don't think that they will be in a financial crisis. Um, and there was talk about giving Gouch and Lai or one of his companies a £5 million dividend. Dividend is what you give to the owners of the business, um, which, he, which, which he would then use to repay the loan. So it, it's things like that that make me uncomfortable we, we don't know whether the club is up for sale at present or not uh you know there's always uh you know I, I know of four or five championship clubs who are at various stages of talk with potential owners some of which it's it's tire kickers some of which it's you know it it's people just having a punt some things have got a little bit further down the line um and, and you know that's that that's a private matter between clubs and potential owners but uh if you were potentially looking to buy West Bromwich Albion, I think that would be one of the things that I'd be concerned about, that are you going to get this money back, money back from Jeremy Peace? Are you going to get this money back from Gauch and Lai? And, and are you going to factor that into the price that you're prepared to pay? Um, and if it looks messy, why not go and look at a different club where hopefully you're, you're picking up something which looks a, you know, a bit cleaner? So that, that's, that's my concern with the Gauch and Lai loan, is that it's making the club more difficult to sell not saying it's up for sale, but 
you know, it's clear that the owner doesn't have the resources to to put into the club himself. Right. Let's head over to Wales then, where Cardiff find themselves in a spot of bother at the moment. They've got a transfer embargo for this window and the next two because of unpaid transfer fees to Nantes over the move for Emiliano Sala. Uh, Cardiff said they were confident about getting the embargo overturned. However, that seems to be proving to be a bit tricky, Kieran. Yes. Um, so for people not familiar um, with this, because it, it arose from when... Um, Cardiff had been promoted to the Premier League. It, 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 they, it, we were in the January transfer window, and they signed, um, or did they sign, you know, Emiliano Sala from Nantes? He certainly flew across. He signed some papers, and then tragically, on the way back to Nantes to collect his possessions, to collect his dog and things like that, by all accounts, um, the the plane went down under strange circumstances, and he tragically lost his life along with the life of the pilot. Um, not say Cardiff have signed a piece of paper so therefore when you are signing a footballer you're not actually signing the person you are signing the exclusive light rights to his registration and as far as Nantes were concerned Cardiff had signed those rights um, Cardiff are saying well actually there's there's a few things which hadn't been ticked off and we don't feel that uh, it's our responsibility. Um, it's gone to the Court for Arbitration for Sport. I think it went to originally, originally to FIFA, then to Court for Arbitration for Sport, both of whom have uh, acted in favour of the first instalment, which is about £6.4 million, pounds, six point, um, uh, being due by Cardiff to Nantes. Cardiff are now going to try to appeal to um, another court, uh, a local court, perhaps in France, perhaps in Switzerland, where the Court for Arbitration for Sport is based. They feel that they are not obliged to make that payment. It's it's all very tawdry because ultimately a young man has lost his life. Um, his family have lost the person that they love. Um, and we've got two football clubs squabbling as if, you know, is if, if, if he's a you know a, a factory or a piece of machinery, um, and 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 that for me has always been the most unsavoury element of this. Um, so um, I think Cardiff are appealing to a Swiss court. They are also considering appealing or putting in some form of claim because Cardiff fervently believe that he would have scored the goals, which would have prevented Cardiff City from being relegated to the Championship. And therefore, that would have cost them, you know, they would have earned another £100 million in TV money. They would have been entitled to another year of parachute payments. So in their view, you know, they've potentially got a claim of over £100 million against who? We're not sure. You know, is it against Nantes? Is it against the insurance company? Is it against uh, the, the person that arranged the or, or organised the flight? You know, we're, we're not quite sure what's happening there. Um the lawyers are going through the fine print and this isn't a critical a criticism of the legal profession they're going to be the only winners in this um you know in terms of you know the, the lawyers will be paid regardless um and and that's their job that uh, they are professional in their outlook um i don't think either of the football clubs with some of the pronouncements they've come out come out with have have looked particularly honorable in all of this um you know sometimes yeah, I'm a great believer in transparency, but on some occasions, 
things are best conducted behind closed doors. Um, and then there's been a few public comments which which don't reflect well on anybody. So Cardiff can't sign players in this window and you know looking at where they are in the table, um, that's that that's a cause for concern because you know sometimes a wee bit of change in January um, can uh, can can boost a club as, as we're fully aware. Perhaps I'm being cynical with this whole thing, but if Cardiff have taken it to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, lost that case, appealed that and lost that as well. And they're saying things like Emiliano Salah would have scored the goals that would have kept us in the Premier League. It sounds to me like Cardiff haven't really got much of a leg to stand on. Am I being cynical there, Kieran? I I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, I've, I've spoken to some sports lawyers and you know, they're, they're, of course, they're going to be guarded in their opinion because they, they say, you know, you know, we've not seen all of the documentation um, and therefore you, you shouldn't prejudge. Um, if, if Cardiff can avoid paying, A, the 6.4 million initial payment and B, two more payments of, of around about another 10 million, you can understand from a business point of view, from a financial point of view, why they've taken the stance that they have. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does look a bit of a long shot. But if it's going to cost you, say, you know, quarter of a million pounds in legal fees and you end up saving yourself six million, potentially 16 million pounds, you can see that from a uh, from a gambling perspective, um, it might be worth a, a punt. It could be that they might be able to reach an out of court settlement with Nantes and say, look, you know, we'll give you. We give you three million, and we just move on. The pair of us, and, and then we don't have to go through this this ongoing rigmarole. Um, you know, we get out. Of, you know, we you know exactly how much you're going to receive. We know how much you're going to pay. We get our uh, our uh, transfer embargo lifted, and so on. So it is uh, it, it it is a tricky one. Um, it, it does appear a bit of a long shot, but but long shots. You know, we, we we've both seen some twenty five yarders go in this season. So, you know, whilst it's unlikely, we, we, we still keep trying them. Well, let's go back to the West Midlands and to Coventry, where there should hopefully be a takeover announced soon. Nothing's been confirmed at the time of recording, but it'll certainly be something welcomed by Coventry fans up and down the country. But I wanted to get your take on the stadium situation, Kieran. As things stand, there's a deal in place with the stadium owners, Fraser's Group, a.k.a. Mike Ashley's company, meaning Coventry can play at the CBS Arena for the remainder of the season. Now, what happens after that? Who knows? And what would you say the chances are of Coventry once again being forced to play their home games outside of Coventry? Because I get the impression Mike Ashley's going to play hardball with this one. Yeah, Mike Ashley got his fingers burnt in terms of his desire to take over Derby County. And part of the reason why he got his fingers burned was that um, Mel Morris, the, the, the former Derby County owner, had sold uh, had sold Pride Park to himself for £80 million. And whether that was ever paid, I'm not quite sure, but that, that's a separate issue because he, he, was, he, was, he was also owed a fortune by the club. Um, and... When Derby went into administration, the stadium company didn't go into administration. So therefore, he was able to have quite a lot of influence over what was going to happen. Um, now, 
I know from people in the football industry that that Mike Ashley was was willing to talk to the administrators. Uh, he, uh, chances are he probably did talk to the administrators. Um, but the only way to effectively acquire Derby County was was on a whole level, i.e. the stadium plus the football club. Because if you've got one without the other, the, the landlord can be very, very awkward. Um, and yeah, from from the stories that you hear, and again, this is this is sort of idle gossip. So so you know, we 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 couch it in that language. Um, I don't think Mel Morris was keen for uh, Mike Ashley to acquire Derby County, and as the, as effectively the landlord of the ground, he could say, "Well, you can buy the football club. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to do you a deal with with the ground." In which case, you know, the deal's off. Um, and having been through that experience, uh, Mike Ashley probably vowed to himself, I'm never going to let that happen again. And in the case of Coventry City, we now have the position in reverse, in which um, he managed to get exclusivity uh, in terms of being a preferred bidder for the for the stadium company, um, despite the, the, the new Coventry owner agreeing to match the price that Mike Ashley was prepared to pay. Because he hadn't, you know, because Mike Ashley had paid for exclusivity, he was able to buy the stadium. And when when the club deal has gone through, and I appreciate the club deal has not yet been ratified by the EFL, um, um, and I think we've got to give the EFL some credit is that they do appear to be taking a much more thorough approach than perhaps they were under the previous regime. So so uh, um, credit where it's due. Um, that, that Coventry have a degree of certainty until the end of the season. You, you've then got to ask yourself, you, you say, is Mike Ashley going to play hardball? Yes, he is. That's that's how, that's how Mike Ashley. You know, you, you talk to fans of Newcastle, you talk to fans of Glasgow Rangers and the experience they had. You know, they, they've had to pay out substantial sums at, at Rangers to, to one of Mike Ashley's companies. Um, uh, that, that Mike Ashley knows how to strike a deal um, and he will do what's best for Mike Ashley and that upsets you as a football fan it's business yeah and, and that's that's his that's his nature um what use is the stadium to him without a tenant not very much yeah yes you, you know, yes you've got some hospitality yes you can do some conferencing there but you're not getting a big return on your I think you paid the best part of 20 million for it whatever it was um, so therefore, it's in his best interest that a deal is struck, um, and it's in Coventry City's best interest that it's a it's a relatively long deal because then you you can have some continuity going forwards. Yeah, there has been talk about moving to Warwick University on a the site there. There has been you know, under under uh, Sisu, the the former owners or the, still the current owners. Um, so we we wait and see, but. With Mike Ashley, you're playing you're playing four dimensional chess. I know he's a controversial figure. I know he's an unpopular figure, uh, but Mike Ashley isn't stupid, so he will he will try to negotiate or he will try to extract the maximum dollar from this, um, which isn't necessarily good news for Coventry City because yeah, every extra pound you pay in rent is one more pound off the plane budget. Mike Ashley's priority is Mike Ashley, isn't it? Uh, Kieran, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about what's going on at Birmingham City and also a potential takeover at Sheffield United. 
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're sat down having a chat with Kira Maguire, the football finance expert about all things to do with the championship. And we've just been talking about Coventry City, so let's stay in the West Midlands. And there's the situation at Birmingham City. And by situation, there isn't much of a situation because nothing's really happening. Uh, There was a takeover, which was impending for numerous months before it became quite apparent that it was never going to get over the line. What, What did you make of that failed takeover, Kieran? We've spoken a bit in this show about I don't want to coin them this but you you know chances quote-unquote um is that applicable here would you say um I'm I'm, it's it's a difficult one with Birmingham there's no doubt that the the current owners who are based in the Far East are looking to sell the club um there was a consortium. You've got Maxi Lopez, who was who was very much front of house, in my view. Uh, you know, a bit of a bit of glamour as far as a potential deal was concerned. Um, in, involved, there was there was other parties, but trying to work out where the funding was coming from was always the uh, the elephant in the room for me. And things went, you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm. And then things went quiet. And when things go quiet um, for too long, you, you start to get a little bit nervous. Um, so yeah, when, when it was confirmed that Maxi Lopez's group were, were no longer going to take over the club, um, I wasn't hugely surprised. Where that leaves the current owners, because Blues are, are losing money on a, on a month-by-month basis, you know, is is open to, to question, you know, how long are they willing to continue to, to effectively fund losses? You know, they, they will be fervently hoping that, hoping that, uh, that Jude Bellingham is sold because I think by all accounts, they're on a pretty sizable, you know, I think they're a 10 or 15% share of the profits um, if he is sold, which will, which will give them a significant cash flow boost. Um, but uh Yeah. It's 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 an awkward one. You know, uh, I've, I've mentioned Lawrence Bassini before. Um, I know he was on uh, Talksport with with Jim White and Simon Jordan, and perhaps it wasn't his greatest moment. Um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of joviality about some of his comments, um, but he's he's not the type of person I'd like to see involved at a football club. Um, uh, for, for reasons which I'd rather not say on a public domain, but I'll tell you about after the show. Um, I look forward to it. <laughs> right. Um, so th- there's a lot of interest in championship clubs. There's a lot of interest in, especially in the States, uh, they, they feel that uh, the clubs are undervalued. Uh, Birmingham, you know, Blues are a good, solid club. I appreciate Birmingham's a, a two-city club, but it's, it's big enough to... to to, to host two city to host two clubs um I'm sure that there's interest but then it comes down to price and um you know there, there, there's issues with St Andrews in terms of the state of the ground which I'm sure people are aware of um which which means that if you are a potential owner potential bidder you've got to factor that in what you're prepared to pay. And then you've got this huge infrastructure cost to get things back into shape uh, as far as the stadium's concerned. Well, that brings me on to my next question, Kieran. Are, are Birmingham that attractive a club to buy? Because firstly, you've got these owners who don't sound like the most cooperative 
based on how the last takeover attempt went. Then you've got the stadium, which is falling to pieces. A big wage bill, considering where they are in the championship. And then you've got other clubs of a similar size, which are simply in a better position in the long term. So do you see where I'm coming from there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and whenever you're buying any business, and it, you know, I, I used to work in the insolvency industry, so I was used to selling companies in a, in a fairly diverse um uh, set of of circumstances and uh, and different industry sectors people are always looking for future prospects um and if the first thing that you're going to have to do when taking over birmingham city is effectively to, to stick your finger in the dike you know in terms of you know we've got so much so many million we have to go in terms of the stadium we've we've still got players on some pretty hefty contracts which we need to expire or we need to suck it up and continue to pay that level of wage and, and I think that's the issue in the championship yeah based based on my numbers which by all means people criticize me for this yeah I, I reckon the average uh salary in the in the championship is probably about 14 15 grand a week you know that's 750 800 grand a year uh you know I just want to sort of you know that's the gross cost to a club um and uh Birmingham that as you say that they've they've got a a significant wage bill but if you don't pay the wages you lose the players so yeah it, it's that it, it's that paradox that catch-22 situation that uh do you need to gamble incur some losses in the hope of getting into the playoffs i, th- I think we can probably say the two promotion places are as as good as sealed as you can get in january I appreciate fit clubs can fall off a cliff um you know it it, it becomes a very expensive uh it's a very expensive hobby, um, and there are alternatives where you're buying clubs which are, are run on a more sustainable basis, um, and on that regard would would be more attractive. But that might make them more expensive as well. So you'd have to you have to factor that into the, the potential. I think Birmingham City have got a lot of potential because yeah, it's a big city um, club, but. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of tidying up of of a mess which has been created by by the current owners and, and, and their predecessors. Well, one club who are in the midst of a takeover, a Sheffield United, an offer from an unnamed party has been accepted by the owner, Prince Abdullah. And Kieran, I think Sheffield United are one of, if not the most attractive clubs to buy outside of the Premier League. When you consider you've basically got one foot there anyway um based on how the season is going but also you consider things like the fan base the academy there's a lot of attractive assets at Bramall Lane in, in there yes and um I think the best thing that Prince Abdullah did you know in, in terms of what we we're talking about earlier in, in respect of buying a football club without a stadium or vice versa can cause issues is that whoever is this mysterious party um is is, get, is getting the whole package. So, you know, the stadium issues have been resolved uh, at Bramall Lane. Um, the club, I think, is in a, is in a very strong position uh, in, in terms of going up. And again, that will be reflected in the price. So, you know, it, it could be going for, for eight, you know, Bournemouth went for 120, 130 million in the Premier League. Um, I, I think, given what you said about uh, Sheffield United, you know, big fan base, big city, uh, it's a football city as well, you know, and, and, you know, and that's that's not disrespecting Bournemouth. It's, it's not disrespecting my club, Brighton. You know, we're not a football city. We, we've got a great football club, but we're not a football city. Whereas, um, 
it, it doesn't mean that the, the fans of those clubs are any less passionate than, than, than the likes of Sheffield, but Sheffield United you know, can uh, point to that uh, that history and that heritage and sort of you know that 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 sense of community. Um, and I think that's very attractive to a prospective owner because you're you're buying you're buying into that noise that you get with a club like Sheffield United. Um, and if, if you've sat in the director's box and you've heard you've heard the roar, that that, that makes it quite a seductive purchase. So um, I, I think I think we're probably looking at a, a significant price, you know, probably eighty to ninety million, um, given where they are and given what they're likely to receive if, if they if they get promoted. And, and what people say, well, you, you get one hundred and seventy million guaranteed if you go up, but a lot most of that goes on wages and transfer fees very very quickly, as as uh, uh, as, as many clubs will uh, have learned to their cost. What do you make of Wigan, Kieran? There were reports around November time of wages not being paid on time, not for the first time, allegedly. And there's also concern about the financial state of the club. Now, you may very well be as in the dark as the rest of us about what's actually going on there. But should supporters be worried at all? Um, it's yeah, one, one red light instead of three, I'd say, at Wigan. Uh, whereas at you know, at at some of the other clubs, yeah, West Brom. I've got three red lights going. Um, there's there's little excuse to you know we've got we've got modern banking, we've got a modern finance system, in which that, there's no reason why you can't transfer money around the world very very quickly. Uh, so if if the stories about late wages are true, well, you know, we've had this at Reading. Reading with a point deduction. We've had this at Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday with a point deduction. We've had this at Derby. Derby with a point deduction for, for other things. But it, it tends to indicate things are not running smoothly. Um, and there's some smart people uh, at uh, at Wigan. But um, yeah, the new owners, yes, yes, they're, they're linked to the Middle East. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's a misconception that everybody in the Middle East is a, is a multi-billionaire. They're not. So, you know, therefore, um, I think Wigan run a, a pretty tight ship. Remember, that I think they they, they were, that uh, they lost some of their assets during the period of administration, um, which was a pretty unpleasant period of time. I think fans are just hoping for things to be a bit boring. Um, and, and when the stories about wages not being paid come out, yeah, the, the club say, well, it's only 24 hours. Yeah, but I've, I've seen this for a few clubs and it tends to be the thin end of the wedge. So I, I think they are, they're a club that, they, you know, if I was a Wigan fan, I'd be monitoring, but I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't, whereas I, if I was a West Brom Albion fan, I'd be very concerned. Um, I'm slightly more relaxed on the Wigan situation. Hmm. Let's just hope it was a human error balls up kind of thing and I wanted to get your take on Watford and their relationship with Udinese it's nothing new it's been going on for seasons now of course both owned by the Pozzo family now we have seen cases this season where they've exploited that relationship I think that's fair to say back in August Watford sold Hassan Kamara for a load of money to Udinese and then he was loaned back to Vicarage Road and any players who are seemingly costing Watford too much, they can seemingly just offload them to Italy on a nice holiday. Is this naughty? Are they breaking any rules by doing this? And as kind of a follow-up question, could this kind of thing be outlawed in the long term? It's got to be said, it's not Watford aren't the only club doing this, but 
could we potentially see this uh, be eradicated? Um, if, if we look at your questions, turn by turn, is, is it illegal? No. You know, it, it is one company selling assets to another. The fact that, that you've got common ownership, that, that's, that, that again is fine. Yeah, that happens all the time. You've only got to look at, yeah, we, we often hear references to yeah, how little money, how, how little tax Facebook and Amazon and the likes of those companies pay in this country because they do an awful lot of deals with yeah, Amazon in Liechtenstein and Amazon in Luxembourg and, and, and Ireland and so on where there's lower rates of corporation tax. That, that's, that's a much broader um, issue to be to be dealt with at, at you know, levels far above both of our paid rates. Um, so they've, they've not done anything illegal. Um, Watford are also borrowing money on some of these transfers. And that's when I go, well, well, hold on. You've got a player sold by one Pozzo company to another and then the outstanding transfer fees because you pay in instalments you're borrowing money from a bank and it's quite often the likes of MSD Holdings who are the lenders or uh, Macquarie, the, the Australian lender who are sort of specialised in this, uh, sort of, in, in amongst the reeds. Um, so that makes you think, well, the, there must be some cash flow issues on the back of that. Um, are Watford up for sale? Can't say. Um you know, would the, would the would the would the Pozzo family be interested in selling them? You know, again, you you, you do wonder um, under those circumstances because Vicarage Road. You know, if anybody's been there, you know it's 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 a very tight little stadium. Uh, you know, twenty one thousand capacity, which is which is fine. But I think you know, if they're in, if they're looking to be more regularly in the Premier League, they would be looking for a, a bigger place to pay. Um, and to, to to generate more money from the broad sandwich munchers, you know, it's, it's, and whilst we can we can have a bit of you know inverted snobbery because we're fans that that go match in match out regardless of circumstances, and you know we've I suspect we've 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 both stood on the terraces at Oldham when the you know when the when the rain is coming in horizontally, and you're going. Why am I doing this? And that 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 lot in in the yeah that lot in the uh, in the hospitality boxes they don't know what we're going through. They do bring in sizable amounts of money, and you know as fans we, we want clubs to spend money. So um, I think Watford's an, it, it's it's an interesting situation. Uh, you know, Manchester City own or well, sorry the City Football Group own eight or nine clubs. Um, we've got Red Bull and RB. And RB, which apparently um, not not owned by the same people, they just got the same initials. Um, so it's uh, it, it's it's a funny one. Watford's finances um, they they do sell. They are good at selling players. I think they're trying to hold on to a few of their players because they're hoping to go up through the playoffs or promote. You know, if they if they, if they win eight in a row, then you know all of a sudden they're, they're back in the in with a chance of going up. Um, and, and I think some of their financial decisions have been made with a view to trying to hold on to some of their better players. Um, and if, if not, they'll go to Italy. Kieran, I hope you've got your tin opener because it's time to open that can of worms, which is parachute payments. Every time we do a Q&A on this show, we always get asked about them without fail. We'll get numerous questions about bloody parachute payments. I'm sick of them at this point. Um, it seems as if the FL have 
change their tune on them now and they could be eradicated at some point in the near future what do we know about this well um the efl want 25 percent of the combined premier league and efl tv deal now the premier league tv deal is worth uh around about 3.1 3.2 billion pounds a year the efl deal is worth 119 so the combined isn't a lot of difference from what the premier league have got um the premier league is saying well you know no, no disrespect guys but why should we give 25% to you because you're when we have given you more money historically the first thing that you've done is is you just spent it on higher wages and and the EFL are coming back scouts honor we won't do that honest uh if so um there are negotiations the i think the EFL have something called so the the, the Premier League have something called uh the new deal which sounds a bit like Franklin D. Roosevelt, for those of you that, that know your history. Uh, it is considerably less than 25% uh, from my understanding. The EFL are digging in their heels. Uh, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sports are saying, we'd rather you sort it out amongst yourselves, but there's not a lot happening. Um, and... Again, part of the EFL proposals would be that if they get 25% of the combined deal, then they would abolish parachute payments. And instead, um, the amount of money that clubs would receive in the championship would be linked to their final league position, um, which which will benefit the bigger clubs. Um, so so that's, that's where we are at present. Um, in terms of what could happen from a government point of view um I, th I think most people may have seen that there was there's there's been some briefings done and yeah that's the way that government works um i have to be cautious what i say here because i do occasionally pop into dcms or get called in to say normally to tell me off yeah because i've been saying some maybe <laughs> be so outrageous here. um but um i i, I think we we are anticipating a white paper sooner rather than later. And I know that might sound a bit hypocritical given what I've said about Gouch and Lies uh, loan, but I'm, I'm, there's, not, there's only so much that I can come out with that. Um, and perhaps there could be proposals there for something more concrete than we've seen. Um, because if, if, if the Premier League and the EFL cannot get into a room together um, and come up with a deal, then... I suspect uh, there will be a willingness, and if anybody um, looks at uh, looks at the jobs page for the civil service and, and uh, DCMS, there are quite a few positions being advertised for people to get involved in the in the football industry yeah, from from the civil service side of the football industry, which which could be which could be um, a, a chance to to shape policy and to get involved. So, um, yeah. The EFL itself is parachute payments. When 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 clubs drop to the national league, you know, up, they they they've never said a word about abolishing those because if you are a club in League Two, parachute payments are really important. Well, if you're a club in the Premier League, 
parachute payments are important. The, the, the purpose of parachute payments, the reason why they were introduced, was to prevent clubs from going bust when they were relegated from the Premier League. And it's achieved that objective. objective. It's But it's created a further set of problems that it does create um, inconsistency and uh, a financial advantage for those clubs that are relegated. Although you could argue that you know, if, if Norwich or Sheffield United get relegated, they are pretty big clubs in their own right, and you'd expect them to be at the top end of the uh, of the championship. Burnley were relegated. They, if they get if they get promoted, I think clearly there's a high chance of that this season. Um, I don't think it's necessarily down to parachute payments. I think it's due to the brilliant work of Vincent Company. But that's that's a that's a football opinion. You know, and you know we're not here to talk about the football side of things. Um, but it, 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 the purpose of the parachute payments is that if you if you are you think about Jamie O'Hara when Wolves were relegated, he was on you know, tens of thousands of pounds a week. If you think about Nick Birmingham City and Nikola Zigic, he was on a ridiculous wage, mm. and nobody else wants to sign those players. And if you're and if you if you are trying to sign a player in the Premier League, if you're if you're bottom six club. Um, and you go to a player and you say, it's the January window. We are, you know, we're Forest, we're Everton, we're West Ham. Um, we will offer you 60, 70, 80 grand a week. But you have to take a, an 80 or 90% pay cut if we get relegated. The player's going to turn, look, look, you're 18th already. Why, 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 you know, why should I take the risk? So it, it's, they, they do serve a purpose my personal view is that they are too big. Um, I, th I think we could ring fence how they are used when the club gets relegated, um, but that would involve you know, monitoring and rules and regulations. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big regulations man myself. Um, but it's 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 messy that you know for we've got. Yeah, we've got Cardiff City who were in the Premier League a few seasons ago, and we've just been talking about Cardiff. Yeah, they're at the wrong end. Um, you know, Hull City, uh, Swansea City, they've all been relegated to the Premier You've got Stoke City, who not only did they receive three years of parachute payments, their owners are richer than God. The owners are richer than God. Um, and yet they've they've not really been, you know, sort of bothering. So it, it's not an open and shut case. Um, they are a clumsy situation. They're a clumsy solution to a much bigger issue of the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is too big, just as the gap between the, the Championship and League One is too big. Remember that clubs in the Championship get 80% of the TV deals. If you're, if, you're in the, if you're in League One, you get 12%. If you're in League Two, you've got, you get 8%. So those, those gaps between divisions, um, if, if you solve that problem, then there's no need for parachute payments. But for some reason, there seems to be a reluctance within the EFL itself to address that within its own environment uh, and also between the Premier League and the EFL. It's a fine balancing act is what I'm getting from you there, Kieran. And it, it sounds yeah. like as well that what you were talking about with, you know, your Forests, your West Ham's, when they try to sign players and they may have to keep one eye on getting relegated, that's only going to benefit the clubs who are never going to get relegated. You know, yeah. your, your Liverpool's... Man City's, Man United, etc., because they'll just round up all the rest of the talent, won't they? Yes, and I understand where 
people that EFL are coming from. They're saying, you know, we, we want a more competitive championship. But if you have a more competitive championship and you have an yeah, the Premier League isn't competitive. Yeah. You know, you, if you end up with an even less competitive Premier League, and ultimately it's the Premier League which generates the money, which allows for everything to be distributed. Um, what you've got is is various groups of clubs. So you've got six, I think potentially could become seven clubs with Newcastle at one end of the Premier League. Then you've got what's known as the other 14. And they've got different objectives. And you've got the, the big six clubs tried to bully the other 14 clubs with Project Big Picture. Remember, these these scoundrels were also behind Super League. Yeah, they didn't learn anything from, from Project Big Picture, which was absolutely appalling. If you, I think we've seen a full copy. But as soon as you go into the small print and you see just how much these big clubs were trying to cream off for themselves. And yes, the, the clubs in the EFL, they've got 25% of the pie but the pie would have been tiny because the big clubs were going to sell off their own TV rights in the Premier League for, for eight home games. And then then the prem, then the clubs in the EFL were getting 25% of you know, Bournemouth versus Palace or Brighton versus Leicester. And no disrespect to those clubs involved, they don't attract big, big audiences, either domestically or overseas. Um, so it's, it's messy. Sometimes you've got to accept that there's never going to be a perfect solution um but we can have a better position than we have at present ultimately the rich get richer don't they and yes. it seems like yeah, that's do. pretty yeah. inevitable what's yeah. going to happen anyway yeah. uh, finally karen always interested to hear who you think are the best run club in the championship today we've spoken a lot about clubs who are not necessarily the best run let's end on a positive who is doing things the right way in your view um i'm, I'm going to name three clubs because otherwise if i name one i'll, I'll get what about my lot um <laughs> i'm gonna i'm going to name millwall um i think under john beresford's ownership he says this is our budget stick to it relatively low wages they're currently in a player position just behind them in the championship we've got luton town uh, i think what they've done is absolutely amazing um and i've got to know the owners you know not the owners, but the executives there. And when you have conversations with them, you realise you're talking to something, you're talking to a grown-up. And that's not always the case with some of the clubs which we've mentioned. You know, people who just treat football clubs as as trophy assets. Um, I think Preston North End are are run on a a tight ship. Um, Norwich, very smartly run club, given that the owners don't have the wealth to put in. And um, the final one I'm going to mention is is Rotherham United, who uh, in 20, I think it was in 2019, difficult to say, because I can never remember when they've just been promoted or they've just been relegated, but they were one of the very few clubs to to run um, uh, at, uh, at at a break-even basis. And, you know, that's, that's not being harsh. You know, Hull, I think, under the new owners, I think are going to be well run and so on. Um, I think Blackpool have got new owners uh, and, uh, you know, credit to them. Um, so th- there's quite a few. So, so you know, whilst I think we, we, we focused on what you might refer to as the, the basket case part of the championship, um, there are some really professional people running the clubs who, who understand the, the, the important part that their clubs play to the, to the local town, city and community. Um, and, all of those clubs that are providing 
warm rooms and food and shelter and, and, and the way that I think the, the clubs in the EFL conducted themselves during the pandemic is, is something to be really proud of as a football fan. Kieran, always a pleasure to speak to you. If people want to hear a bit more from you, where can they find you? Um, well, I, I, do, I, I do this podcast with um, comedian and writer Kevin Day. It's called The Price of Football. Uh, that goes out two or three times a week. Um, we we started off with, with the aim to do 20 minutes a week. We're now doing two and a half, sometimes three hours of material a week. We, we, are, looking, we are looking for the day that the podcast shuts down because there's no more there's, there's no more lunacy in terms of the finances so what we try to do is to um go through the Rethian principles of inform educate and entertain uh looking at football as a business uh, we, we've got we've got a relationship with quite a few clubs not necessarily good all the times uh, because you know our, our job is to just to sort of highlight and, and spotlight what, what's going on um and when football gets its house in order, we can both we can both walk away from that. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Kieran Maguire, where um, I upset an awful lot of football clubs by just just, just by just putting out facts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and ha- and having been on the having been on the receiving end of a couple of lawsuits from clubs, um, I'm point out to them that the, the, these are your facts, not mine. Yeah. Um, but but sometimes the the clubs try to, to bury things, uh, and I think it's it's yeah you know, I, I work in education. Um, it's it's a job of an educator to just try to explain things. So we try try to do that. Yeah, and you're doing a great job of it as well, Kieran. Cheers for your time today, mate. Thanks, Ryan. All the best. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.